welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your hostess with the mostest, mother of dragons, Dr. Freaking Aaron Wiseman. I am coming at you the day after returning from a New Mexico respite adventure. I get to hang out with the amazing Dr. Dina George from Create an Unstoppable Life podcast. We initially had set it up to include other female physicians, but nobody else signed up. So we went and had ourselves a little adventure. We paddled down the Rio Grande. We went hiking. The last day, we called it our capstone adventure. (laughs) We ascended 2,800 feet up and 2,800 feet down over nine miles. You want to talk about getting straight in your life. That is exactly what you got to do. I got hit in a lightning storm flying back to Louisville. But you know what? We made it. We had a great time. Oh, it's exactly what I needed. So I am here hurrying up to get this so that you can hear this on a wonderful Monday morning. And this is part two of Work is My Drug, a series about work addiction, how to notice it, how to name it, how to normalize it in our culture, and then how to move forward in it and determine the life and the work that you want to do instead of being controlled by a work addiction. So before we get into part two, here's a word from our sponsor so I can pay a few bills. Deputy, at your practice, what happens when staff call out sick? How much time does it take to find a replacement to fill in? If you need to cancel appointments because you're short staff, what does that cost your practice? Well, Deputy is a simple app that helps more than 250,000 workplaces tackle this exact problem. Deputy makes it easy to schedule staff in line with patient demand, communicate schedules with your team, and instantly find replacement when someone calls out sick. To find more and to try Deputy for free, go to drpodcastnetwork.com backslash deputy, D-E-P-U-T-Y. So I jumped into PubMed to get more on work addiction, workaholics, behavioral addiction, work engagement, all sorts of good, good keywords, honestly. And I found not really so much in our medical journals, but mostly in occupational health journals, in environmental medicine, some in psychology of addictive behaviors and in some journals about behavioral addictions, some research that I wanted to share to you. And then we're going to break it down. And then I'm going to give you some action steps, some tangible takeaways that you can look into if you feel like you're with me on this, that work is your drug. So let me break down some studies for you. So back in 2017, there was an article called 10 Myths About Work Addiction by Griffiths et al., And it was a narrative review on work addiction, and it gave commentary on some fallacies of what people think is work addiction or what I would say would be socialization of our culture of medicine, that work addiction is an okay thing and that it's acceptable. (laughs) This may be the first thing. So I'm going to break down this article, present their thoughts, but then also present some of my thoughts 
and what we can take away from them in practical, real-life, grown-up world. So one of the myths that I want to hit off right at the very beginning, when people kind of like scoff when I talk about work addiction, is that they only believe that there are psychological consequences to being addicted to your work and overworking. And I want to say a big falso to that because there's actually now a lot of evidence linked to work addiction and physical illness. So we know chronic stress leads to a lot of psychological disorders like depression, anxiety, that sort of thing. But one step farther than that, and I think actually showing the physical manifestations of it is, hello, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, strokes, cardiovascular events, also sleep disturbances, back pain, chronic body pain, sickness, just in general, the overuse of alcohol, are some of the other negative consequences. And one that I found that one author talked about as a physical consequence that I just can't let go because I think it's so important is that the physical consequences may not be to the addicted person, but actually more frequently, the main victim of a work addiction may be the families, our families, our kids, the children for which very early on, we have displayed behaviors to them that in turn, they then develop anxiety, depression, workaholicism, maybe even personality disorder, because there's the imbalance of the your work and your family. And I think it's something that I absolutely have to note in this podcast today, because so many times we focus on ourselves when it comes to life coaching and personal development. But in the last episode, I asked you to think about mentors and parents. Were they overworkers? Were they addicted to their work? Did work come first in a lot of your life as a young child? And I'd have you sit with that. And then I'd also have you reflect and think about, is that what you want moving forward? We can't change the past at this point. We can't take back time with our kids. God, I wish I would. I don't remember the first year of my first child's life. I was an intern at the time when I gave birth to him. And if it wasn't for Google Photos and being able to look back at pictures, I don't remember that year of Camden. And it breaks my heart. And so I recognize that this is a very severe physical consequence to work addiction. But it doesn't have to be our future. Okay, number two point that I want to bring up in this is that some people point out that work addiction is actually a very positive thing. In the literature, they call these type of people like hyper performers, happy hard workers. They also use terms to try to differentiate the positive and the negative forms of workaholism. But how I see it, I really feel like any activity, any substance, anything, and that includes work, can be a general addiction if the long-term consequences outweigh the short-term benefits. And so I really think that we have to stop looking at, you know, being the hardest worker and slaving away and grinding as, again, a badge of honor because the long-term side effects far outweigh those short-term victories. Like if, for instance, one of the studies that was doing a critique on the article I mentioned before, the 10 myths of work addiction, they were breaking down that saying that work addiction only occurs in adults, which is a total falsehood 
because if we think about it, there's actually, and I did more deep dive, there's actually some studies that are showing what they call study addiction. So that is when, you know, students are encouraged to overstudy, overprepare, really be ready to answer all the questions on the test. Does this sound familiar at all? And actually gave some thought that perhaps work addiction is just the natural progression of someone who has a study addiction. I would say that would be 100% right in medicine, that we are creating this environment almost like a systemic addiction for someone because you're encouraged first by major academic organizations and then later viewed in the employed world as socially acceptable to do this. And remember, going back to my definition of work addiction, it is compulsive. It is continued work despite of harmful outcomes that impairs us psychologically, physiologically, and socially. These can be described as toxic, obsessive, compulsive addictions towards the things for which we work. So yeah, there's another thought on that. So I want to give a shout out to all our med students, residents, fellows that are out there who... (laughs) You know, we're sitting here as attendings later on talking about work addiction, and they're like neck deep in this as well, in this societal change. I just had a really great conversation with Dr. Linda Street over at Simply Worth It podcast. If you haven't listened to that, you need to head over there. Um, She talks about communication, negotiation. She's a fabulous human. Anyway, side plug. We were talking about how from a very early age, not just as children, but as professionals, We are indoctrinated with thoughts that this is how we become a good doctor. And the only way that we're going to be able to do this is to systematically change that indoctrination. So by holding firm boundaries, by saying, I will work 20 hours a week and no more, I will not answer emails from Thursday night until until Monday, from I am not on call this weekend. You need to call the on-call person. By having those boundaries in place, we are demonstrating to future generations who may right now be in study addiction, but we can help demonstrate towards the future how not to progress into a work addiction. Chew on that for a little bit. Okay, and number three point I want to give from my deep dive into the literature was a myth that was saying that work addiction is a function of time spent engaging in work. And so while the time spent engaging in your work, or I even was thinking about a running addiction or an exercise addiction, because I really feel like this could fit into what we're talking about as well. But the time in and off itself is not the core component of the addiction. There is no number of hours to work that makes you quote unquote, okay, when you have a work addiction. Because remember, it's not the time, it's the like obsessive compulsiveness of the addiction, the like doing the thing, despite having physical, psychological, and physiological harm to yourself. And I bring this up, because I always felt this way, but I didn't know how to describe it. And I thought I was just a weirdo. You know, those people who can work like 80 hours in a week and then go play a round of golf afterwards and it's like no big deal. And I'm over here like struggling to get through 12 hour shifts. I think it's just because I'm inherently different that it doesn't matter the amount of time that I spend in work. 
It's about the repercussions that happen doing said work. And so, again, like I said, healthy behaviors in life can also become addiction. Like, just think about running. You know, if you're obsessively thinking about and compulsively running and it's impacting your health, it's impacting your relationships, and it's impacting you socially, you know, running may not be a good thing for you. I think this makes it hard when we're talking about work addiction because work has so many filters and layers to it. I mean, we just can't all sit around and go sit on an island and eat bonbons and drink mojitos all day. We have to do some sort of work to have that value exchange, to have the money that we need. But at what psychological consequence, what physiological consequence, what physical consequence? So I just want to say that because there's been some studies now published that came out of Sweden. It was some Swiss companies that reduced the time at work. So they went to a six-hour day, and they demonstrated that they had no loss of productivity and actually, in some cases, even had increased productivity. You know, so to sum that up, it's not the hours of the day that matter if you have a work addiction. It's the impact of what those are doing. And it's also showing, too, that we can go about work in a different way. If you don't want to work seven to five, that actually a shortened schedule can maintain that same level of productivity and I dare say actually increase it as well. So advocating maybe for a six-hour work week, advocating for not working long extra hours and instead shifting the schedule. I think it's just really important to start identifying that we're not all the same. I mean, with all the work that's happening in the DEI space, with all the different labels as humans that we can carry versus, you know, cis or trans, white, BIPOC, male, female, non-binary, like really looking at that and really diversifying our employment and our workspace to accommodate for these differences is what will bring us into the future. So your tangible takeaway from point three here is to recognize that you are different and someone else may work 10 hours a day and not feel it. And you may work four and be exhausted and that's okay. It's just you must go ahead and make the accommodations that you need. You must advocate for yourself. Or maybe you're seeing a partner. You need to advocate for them. Because work addiction isn't defined by such and such number of hours per day or this amount of hours per week or this excessive number per month. It really comes down to the individual basis. So friend, I hope my deep dive into the literature has been fun. I'm going to keep doing it. Part three is going to have more great jewels for you. I would love to hear from you if this series, Work is My Drug, the series on work addiction, has been good for you. If it's been enlightening, if it has been something that you're enjoying, or the total opposite. I'd love to hear if you have any opposing views. Visit me over at Instagram at Aaron Wiseman. Drop me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. Or you can send me an email directly at hello at burntouttobadass.com. Of course, you can always go check out the websites too. I mean, it's drmefirst.com or Burnt Out to Badass. We're hanging out, loving life, and working through our own work addictions here. Hey, 
Are you tired of going at it alone? Well, friend, you don't have to anymore. Come sit with me. I want you to know that it's okay if you need to take a break. It's okay if you need to talk about some real crappy things. It's okay. You're not the first to feel like this, and you don't have to stick it out and be miserable. There is a way out, and there's a whole movement of fierce females in your corner. If you want to come sit with me and be in my community, you will not see me in Facebook groups. I freaking hate Facebook with a deep and fiery passion. (laughs) But what you can do is come over to Aaron Wiseman's Badass Collective on Slack. Because guess what? Once a badass, always a badass. And this isn't anything that's paid. It's not anything that I'm like throwing huge promos at you. It is simply a community where I am trying to get people together in the same space so that we can have these kind of conversations safely and in a protected manner that you feel so loved on. It's the whole purpose. So click in the show notes, get over to the Slack group. We do have some community rules. But, you know, that's just how it goes. But I would love to see you in there. I am in there almost every single day having real conversations, posting crazy pictures of my kids and gifts, all that good stuff. And I want you in there, too. So come on over. Come sit with me. Before we end, here's a quick reminder about our sponsor. If you want to boost efficiency across your practice and make staffing scheduling easier, try the Deputy app. You can try this award-winning technology for free by going to drpodcastnetwork.com backslash deputy. That's drpodcastnetwork.com backslash deputy. All right, my friends, it's been lovely hanging with you today. Come around next week for part three and also another special guest interview. And always remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters.